Today's podcast is sponsored by Labyrinth Marketing, a strategic marketing and capability consultancy who strives to step change the growth of your brands, people, and agencies. We do that by helping you develop that long-term strategic direction that will step change your growth, but also help you to bring that to life through training, coaching, mentoring, and extra resource. Hello, and welcome to the Whole Marketer podcast. podcast is a topic of personal understanding, its social legacy. And shortly I'll be welcoming today's guest, Emily Chang. But before I do, let me tell you what legacy or social legacy means to me. One of our key pillars for the whole marketing concept is to have a fulfilled life and career as a whole. In order to get that, we need to have clarity on our values, our goals, and our purpose so that we can ensure that we are intentionally choosing and making choices that allow us to have a purposeful life. Defining your legacy also allows you to ensure that you're intentional about what impacts your presence will leave behind, whether this is in your role, your future role, or for your life as a whole. Social legacy is the impact your presence has when you give back to society as a whole, championing a specific cause that you are passionate about. Today's guest is Emily Chang, author of The Spare Room. She has been in her current role of CEO for McCann's World Group China for just over a year. And she is a true change maker who drives the O plus O branded experiences and cross-cultural team leadership, having delivered record high results for the agency. Emily has always positioned creativity and innovation at the center of her business strategy, even in her first two decades leading client-side businesses, which include roles such as CMO for Starbucks China, Chief Commercial Officer at IHG, Procter & Gamble and Apple, where in her roles, she delivered market share turnaround through developing initiatives that spread across the whole brand customer experience, including loyalty, customer engagement, digital ecosystems, and much more. She has led commercial functions and large sales and marketing teams, some reaching as many as 5,000 people, leading many new BI and digital capabilities. So when she joined McCann Worldbook Group China as CEO, Emily was thrilled to be able to help brands deliver delightful, integrated customer experiences that earn a meaningful role in people's lives. As a champion of DNI, she is committed to creating a positive culture of belonging at work. It in fact sees conscientious inclusion as a core business strategy. Emily injects a positive spirit in the workplace, prioritizing wellness, fun, and active engagement. Among other significant improvements, McCann has seen, I see an opportunity for personal growth increased by 88%, and statements such as, my well-being is cared for, improve up 70% over the last three biannual surveys. In 2022, Emily was awarded Women to Watch Greater China by Campaign Asia, one of the most prestigious recognitions in the marketing and advertising industry. She also contributes time to support the industry development by delivering lectures and judging awards. Emily sits on the board of SOS Children's Villages and recently published a best-selling book called The Spare Room, also the topic of her first TEDx talk. She enjoys spending time with Minky, her husband of 22 years, Liani, her 13-year-old daughter, Holly Berry, their rescue dog, and Scarlett, the pygmy hedgehog. Emily, welcome to the Whole Marketer podcast. Thank you so much for having me. So as always with the Whole Marketer podcast, we always start with a big juicy question up front. And today's big juicy question is, what is social legacy to you? For me, very personally, I've defined it as good kibun. So the background of this phrase comes from a little 
guy who lived with us from South Korea. When he was staying with us, one day after dinner, he kind of sat back and said, this house, good kibun. As I asked him what he said, kibun, it's hard to express in English or Chinese. It is like a comfort for your spirit. And that's what he felt when he was living in our spare room. I thought that was so lovely. And so the social legacy is the intersection of two things. It's the intersection of your offer and your offense. On one hand, your offer is the collection of experiences, capabilities, and personality traits that you bring to the table uniquely. And the offense is the thing in the world that calls to you, sort of more than all the other offenses. When you find the intersection of your offer and your offense, you land on your social legacy. So when Jishin that day explained to me what kibun was, I thought, that is exactly what I want my social legacy to be. I want to help people, especially those who are vulnerable or marginalized young people, feel a deep comfort for the spirit when they stay with us, whether that's with my family at home or when they come to work every day in my workplace. I loved how you described the kaboon aspect there. Probably not pronouncing it quite as eloquently as your spare room guest. How do you believe having that kaboon, as you said, in your home and in your work allows you to gain fulfillment in your life and work as a whole? There's a very interesting, unexpected twist to life, which may not feel intuitive until you start living this way, which is the more that you give, the more that you get. Mm -hmm. I love the way you phrase this question, Abby, because in fact, by trying to create a great comfort for the spirit for everybody who enters my space, I've actually found I'm living more intentionally. It's very clarifying for me in the choices I make, big and small. And it's also absolutely joy-giving in abundance when we are able to create that space because people enter it more willingly, openly. They seek us out. We have amazing connections and community. I couldn't agree with you more. And as you say about spirit, I think of it as your soul. You know, if your soul is, in my case, feeling full, then the energy that you have or the energy that you have to give is there in abundance versus the opposite effect. And and really being mindful of creating that space of those that are willing to enter your space, as you put it, is a really great way of almost thinking about the effect that you have on others and how your own mood has on them. Is that a fair reflection? That's a great description. I'm visual. So sometimes I think about things in a cartoonish way. Imagine when people come into your home, you know, what colors do they feel when they come in and engage with you? Do sparks fly? I love that phrase because sometimes our door is always an open door and sometimes neighbors come in, friends just drop by, Mm. my daughter's friends come in and you just imagine all these little sizzles and pops as everybody engages with each other. And of course, like draws like. So even if people don't know each other, they very quickly feel like they're part of the same community and very quickly become friends. I would say exactly the same in the workplace. Our job as leaders is to find those leaders who can bring to life, mimic, role model our desired workplace culture. And for me, again, it's kibun, this deep sense of belonging, the space that I can be completely who I am because I'm seen, valued, respected for just that. That's when all those little sizzles and pops happen and when sparks fly in the room. And just on a side note for a second there, as you talk about being completely who you are, to feel that you belong and being responded to in that space. Why do you think so many leaders struggle to find a leadership style that allows them to be just that? 
Well, I don't know that we talk about this very authentically. Brene Brown has introduced new language in the workplace, which I really respect, this idea of vulnerability. Before she articulated it, I don't think that was a word you hear in the workplace very often, but now you do. And it enables us to have words to shape how we feel or what we want others to feel free to feel. Beyond vulnerability, I think it's the same thing. Have we seen leadership role modeled in true authenticity? What do we see on the silver screen? I think this comes to representation. Are we seeing different types of people, different styles succeeding in leadership roles? And are we seeing those people feeling free to continue being who they are? Or do we see them start to shapeshift to become more of a standard profile of what they might feel is expected? So I think it takes a degree of boldness to say they've put me in this role for who I am. They want me to bring the best of who I am to this table. And that's exactly what I'm going to do. Sorry, I just got a bit emotional there listening to you say that, Emily, because I coach and mentor so many people who find themselves in leadership positions. And as you've mentioned around kind of the, what you see in the movies, they arrive in this role, you know, only having experienced the people that have led them before and maybe those that weren't that vulnerable or that authentic and were maybe themselves embracing a culture and expectation about how they should be as a leader. And they find themselves in these roles, only having those experiences to draw on and then have this battle and this struggle between who they know they are, who they believe the organization wants them to be or their peers wants them to be and what they've experienced before them. And it really does, as you say, take the time and the boldness and the confidence to say they've put me in this role for who I am. I'm aware of my strengths and what I bring to this role. And I'm going to make a concerted effort to maybe break those biases or break those experiences that I've had before them to be a leader that's authentic to who I am and feels confident enough to have those moments of vulnerability, as you said, Brené Brown speaks about, because it's those moments of vulnerability where connections and relationships are formed. Exactly. There's a short that this reminds me of that I love by Pixar. Have you seen Pearl, the pink ball of yarn? No. You'll have to watch it. It's just a couple minutes made by a woman, directed, produced by women. It's just wonderful. And it speaks to the gender piece. But frankly, I think that what we're talking about here topically is relevant across all genders. Mm. But in, in this little short, there's Pearl. She's a little pink ball of yarn and she comes to work with all these you know, male yarn. <laughs> and it's interesting that she's yarn because that's a material that can transform into something else. So she starts to evolve. And then another little bright ball of yarn joins the workplace and she realizes how much she has transformed herself. And she returns to her former pink ball of yarn state of being. And it's just a wonderful reminder. I think to do this though, like I said before, it takes boldness. It takes mm. great courage because we are being vulnerable. We're being ourselves. I remember when I interviewed with Intercontinental Hotels Group, they had reached out. I, of course, looked up the CEO who wanted to meet me and he looked like this quite stoic British gentleman. And I thought, I've got a lot of blue hair. I wonder if I should die at <laughs> this meeting. Now, isn't that funny, Abby? Why is that my first question? Why aren't I thinking about why he's interested in me? What talents I bring? How can I leverage what I've learned at Procter & Gamble and Apple into IHG? Instead, my first thought was, should I conform physically? Mm. And I had to have this mental clarity of, no, they've sought me out. They clearly know what I look like today. 
I'm not going to change myself. I'm going to bring myself to this interview. And if it doesn't work, then they probably wouldn't be a good fit for me anyway. And I have to be very comfortable with that. But that's a lot of intentional thinking and self-reflection. It is. And self-reflection is so important. I don't think we spend enough time doing that. But as you were describing that situation, Emily, I was actually thinking, will Emily fit here in the sense of who you as I know today, would you fit with that stoic British culture? So it's interesting that when you looked at that situation, you, as you said, well, I'm going to change my hair (laughs) so that they see me in this more, I don't know, corporate way because they are British and stoic, as opposed to no, why am I thinking these thoughts? To your point, having the time to reflect, they know who I am. (laughs) They know what I look like and they know the the great successes I've had. I'm enough. But yeah, I do think there is something around the way that we show up in different environments and the, the games that we play, if you will, the roles that we play in certain constellations, as it's called in the coaching world. And almost always having to try and find our role. And it was almost maybe something just by looking at him, it was like, well, where would my role be within this? And how would I have to fit into this? As opposed to, I will make space in this constellation for who I truly am. Absolutely. And by the way, shame on me as well for drawing assumptions about Kenneth because of a photograph. (laughs) Because he turns out to be the warmest, most thoughtful, generous manager I've ever worked for. Is it shame on you or is it the brain? In the sense that (laughs) the brain goes X plus Y equals Z, you know, (laughs) I say to a lot of people in my network, you know, the brain is incredible, but it's not as sophisticated as we all think it is. And in that situation, it's just took previous experience of someone that looks similar, X, that did something, Y, and it must equal Z. It takes, as you say, the power to be able to say, thank you, brain, for that summary or that biases, but actually I'm going to go into this open and review the situation to be something different. And, And that's exactly what you did. So I don't think it's shame on you. I think it's shame on your brain. <laughs> I think it is. We we are, as humans, very good at pattern recognition and drawing mm. conclusions. And I think so much of that happens on the subconscious or so quickly, we yes. don't even recognize it's happened. So that's where taking these little micro moments and pausing and interrogating what conclusion we just drew and why can be important. I don't do it all the time, certainly. So I'm not trying to say I've, I've mastered this, but I'm trying to be so much more intentional about what do I believe? Why do I believe that? Is that a fair judgment? Or have I already passed judgment without even giving an opportunity, you know, in this case, to even meet Kenneth? We are almost having to constantly fight that snake brain, which is helping protect us, which is drawing conclusions, recognizing patterns to say, but people are not cookie cutter and they don't all fit into patterns. And certainly we should try and withhold judgment based on how somebody looks, because that was exactly the flip side of my blue hair thought (laughs) when we meet somebody else, you know? (laughs) I couldn't agree more. And it is knowing the power of the subconscious and it is knowing the emotional reaction that we have to things isn't always our conscious thought, it's our brain's thought. And how do we become more reflective to really understand what that is telling us? But like you say, that takes time and that takes work. Yes, exactly. And on that point of intentional Emily, I've read your book, The Spare Room. It's absolutely fantastic. And in your book, The Spare Room, define your social legacy to live a more intentional life and lead with your authentic purpose. You talk about, and as you've just done in the beginning of today's podcast, your offer and where you share that in order to do so, you need to understand your capabilities, your passions, your uniquenesses, your resources. 
Can you tell us a bit more about each of those aspects of your offer and how they help you in building that? Sure. In fact, thank you so much for your kind words about the book. That means a lot. At the end of every chapter, I create some self-reflective exercises. And at the end of the first chapter, which is all about identifying your offer, there are a series of exercises as well as these sort of provocative questions to get you thinking a little bit more laterally or broadly or longer term about what it is you offer. In fact, I think, Abby, to the previous conversation, we sometimes diminish ourselves. Mm. We say, oh, this is about the same as everybody else, or I'm not outstanding at this, or I'm good enough at this, but not great. And I confess, I'm one of those people. I often think there's so much more to learn. I could be so much more effective. But we're diminishing our light a little bit when we do that. I don't want to shift to being prideful or inflated But I do think having an accurate assessment of what we offer only pays tribute to how we're being made. And I think that's important because we were made to be on this earth for one precious life. And don't we all want to live it to the absolute maximum? I imagine everyone listening would say a wholehearted yes. Well, are you living to your maximum life with this one, call it 80 to 100 years that you have on earth? If you aren't fully embracing everything that you think you can do, everything you can offer, you can bring to the table that is unique and precious and special about you. That's why I feel so strongly that we need to be really facing a mirror with complete transparency and saying, what am I good at? Mm. What do I do well? In fact, it was a little bit going back to Brene's word vulnerable because I shared my own example in the book. And it feels a little like you're tooting your own horn. Like these are the things I offer. But I had to get over that feeling because at my best, not every day, but at my best, this represents my offer. And once I can state that, once I claim the power of putting it into words, well, now I'm going to live as well as I can to be that person and to bring that full offer to the table every time that I can. And there's two things that you said there. One was at my best and not every day, because I think so many people I speak to think in order for something to be a strength, they have to be excellent at it every single time they do it. It's just, as you've acknowledged, that's not going to happen every single day. But those moments where you have had brilliance and you have been at your best what was your strength? I think that's an absolutely poignant message for the listeners to take away. I think the second was exactly that about your one life, your one precious life, as you call it. And there's a saying that I absolutely love, and forgive me for whoever coined this, if I'm doing it the disservice, but it's something along the lines of, we have one life, we should be running towards it like it's on fire. (laughs) And I really agree with that. You know, I really believe that thinking about the legacy that you leave behind and having done everything that you could have done in your power to live your best life, but also to add to society as a whole. And I heard you speak about this at the Changemaker Conference in the Marketing Society, which I absolutely loved and which was the fuel behind me inviting you on today. There really has to be this moment where you realize the power of not only who you are, but the greatness that can be achieved when we all show up as our best and authentic true selves to make the world a better place. Absolutely. So as you said in your book, you've got those questions that allow you to define those areas, those areas of your strengths, the things that you are great at, what you're passionate about, what makes you you, and what's within your resource. So having to find your offer in order to find your social legacy 
you then also need to define your offense. Can you tell us more about your offense? Yes. In fact, when I wrote the book, I really thought offense fit well, not only with my five stories out of the 17 that we have sort of experienced in the spare room, but also the other 15 stories from amazing everyday heroes from all over the world in different walks of life. What I want to pause and say is maybe it's offense, maybe it's opportunity. Mm-hmm. And they both begin with, oh, so that's wonderful. <laughs> it still fits the model. <laughs> because a lot of folks will find something that really irks them. It tugs at your heart. It makes you stop in your tracks. I think we all find issues around us every day. Some speak to us more than others, and some we actively want to do something about. That is kind of honing in on your offense. For some people, like Shannon, it's ocean plastics, because suddenly she had this aha moment when she saw bottle caps stuck in a turtle's throat that choked it to death. And she related it to how her daughter felt with a special sort of physical ailment that she had. It just sparked. And she said, this is so unacceptable that marine life is dying because of our litter. There are other people who, like Quentin, has discovered the power of movement and dance in Afghanistan at Camp Leatherneck. And he embraced that. Talk about vulnerability to bring dance into an army base. Amazing. I think those guys found, whether you call it offense or opportunity, they had a moment where they thought, this, this is game-changing. I want to spend my life investing in this. I want to pour my offer against this. That's what the offense is. And sometimes you articulate it, you discover it, you write it, and then you shift toward it. I hope that's what the book helps you do Mm -hmm. sort of as a roadmap. I will say for myself, I didn't have any such roadmap and I really discovered it through life, through many different young children who ended up in my spare room. It became such a trend that I had to pause and say, why does this keep happening? (laughs) Nobody else seems to have random children stumbling into their home who need help. This is really bizarre. And my colleagues, my friends would often ask the same thing. My answer is when you're willing to delineate your offer and put it out there in the world, I think the offense or the opportunity will find you because you're creating an openness about yourself and you're saying, here here, here I am and here's what I offer. Anyone need it? In fact, this is something that even since writing the book, I've started to become more intentional about, which is at the end of conversations asking, what can I do for you? How can I serve you? And I think it's off-putting to some people who maybe haven't had that question posited to them. For other people, they're like, oh, I'm so glad you asked. A, B, C, D, E. (laughs) I love the question. I can't promise that I can deliver on all the things you've requested, but I like putting the question out there. I think it opens up a different dimension of spirit and engagement between us. It goes back to the sizzles and the pops in the room. And that's the joy of life. So why not? Why not try to figure out what your offense is, what your opportunity is, define what your offer is. Look, when you define that intersection and you say, wow, this is my thing. Maybe you don't do anything with it. Maybe you keep it hidden in your closet, but you know it. Bring it out in a few years. Or maybe you say, this is incredibly empowering. This is what my life has been missing. Let me go figure out what to do against it. Or third, here's the other thing. You might find your tribe. Once you put this out there, you might say, here's my social legacy. And you find somebody else who has the same. You will immediately spark to each other. And the power that's amplified when people find each other who share a similar social legacy is magnified. 
And it's so exciting. And then you're truly living in that kind of joy and abundance because you're with like-minded, like-hearted, like-spirited people who want to have a similar impact or who offer something similar to yourself. You found your tribe and then you start growing it. And life just becomes this amazingly joyful experience every single day. And to our listeners, if that's not enough motivation to go and find your offense or opportunity and define your social legacy, I don't know what is. You know, just hearing you speak, Emily, the energy is clearly one of the benefits that you will get from the sparks of being around your tribe and around having that social contact with people that are like-minded and have the same passions and want to go after the same opportunities or offenses as yourself. I think one thing that was interesting, though, when you were talking about the openness is when you ask, what can I do to help you? I'm really intrigued by that in that how many of those have the clarity on what exactly they need help with and how many of those that kind of go, oh, I'm not sure I'll come back to you, Emily, is because they haven't taken the time to define and have that openness about what it is that they could do and what they want. I think that is such an insightful question because it's true. It comes back to, do we sometimes diminish ourselves? Do we want to take up less space, Mm. less oxygen? We are fearful of intruding on others, even when they're offering or asking. We think to ourselves, maybe they don't mean it. We think to ourselves, who are we to deserve their help, their engagement? But the reality is, if somebody's asking, we deserve it. And they're offering. My new motto is never say no to an offer. It takes a degree of vulnerability, of boldness to say, why, yes, I would love that. I'll tell you personally, I have major discomfort asking for any support for this book because it's just a side project. Again, you you can hear my own language. Yeah, you're saying it, just a side project. It's incredible. I know. I'm sorry. I'm catching myself live on this podcast. But we do this to ourselves and you have to fight it. You have to catch it and say, no. I I would like your help. Many people have offered, what can I do to help you with your book? And I I say, well, maybe buy one. But no, I'm starting to lean into, would you please leave me a review on Amazon? That helps. That's currency. Mm. But I will tell you, it is so uncomfortable for me to even ask that. And I know it takes five minutes to go on Amazon and leave a review, but I feel like I'm intruding. I feel like I'm asking for something that is not merited. But if someone's offering, I am putting it out there. And now it is going to be audio recorded right now, that that's what I'm going to ask for. So this is a really tangible thing for anyone listening today. Put one thing out there that you will answer because it's one thing, Abby, to ask, but you're right. This is such an insightful question. Most will say, oh no, I'm okay because we don't want to intrude or we don't know what the answer is. We rack our brain and suddenly we think, I don't know. I What do I want this person to help me with? Can I come back to you? Or, oh, I think I'll, I'll let you know but what a wasted opportunity. Somebody's reaching out. So lay out one thing that you think people can help you with. Have it in your mind. And if someone asks you, you have an answer. Or maybe we even get to the point where we proactively ask. That's super uncomfortable. And I'll share with you another kind of vulnerable life moment right now. I was chatting with you before we started recording. My flight to Shanghai was delayed and I'm staying with a friend. Do you know how uncomfortable it is to ask a friend, can I stay with you? Goodness, for a month? Do you know how good my friend is, Stacy? And this goes back to finding your tribe, finding deeply like-minded and like-hearted people who want to love and support each other. I feel so blessed to have her. 
but it was very uncomfortable even so to ask for help. Yesterday, I went and picked up a rental car and she was busy. So I asked another friend, actually Tim, who was one of the guys who stayed in our spare room for a year. He's now grown up living in Los Angeles with his wife. I called Tim and I said, I have to go quite far to pick up my rental car. Will you drive me? And even on the car ride, I told him, this is really uncomfortable for me. And we were talking about how we're growing. You know, I'm in my mid to late forties. And I said, Tim, I'm still growing. It was hard for me to ask you for help. I just thought, I'll just Uber. It's just, it's fine. But then I thought, no, this is precious time with him in the car. If he's willing to give it, I'm willing to accept it. So that's the question. Are you willing to give? I think most people would say yes. Here's a hard one we don't talk about. So thank you for the question, Abby. Are we willing to accept? Yeah. And listening to you, you give so much that it's almost, as you say, you know the benefit of when you give what that does for the other individual. It's okay to take back as well. And I'm listening to that and thinking exactly the same, because if anyone wants some help or advice, I will always make time for a phone call, for a Zoom, whatever they need. You know, I always want to be that person that did reply and that did help. But am I good at asking for that in return? No, I'm really not. And just by having this conversation, that's something here, I've said it to you on the podcast, I'm going to get better at asking for help as well. <laughs> We're going to have a, what do we call it? A pinky promise. You a pinky I, promise, from today yes. <laughs> from today forward, we will also ask for help. <laughs> love it. Absolutely love it. And as you said, it is about that clarity and the taking the time to define it, but it's also about making it happen. And in my book, I do talk about that daily motion of taking small steps to edge us closer to our goals, or in this case, moving closer to our social legacy. What advice would you give to someone who has taken that time? Who knows what they want to ask for help for when someone as amazing as you offers your help? What advice would you give to them in making it happen, making it a reality? I think we ought to break down life into small moments, these micro moments. So when we Get focused on just one foot in front of the other. One day, half a day, one week, one month. We can get so much more progress because we've become intentional with the small things. So often we set a big goal. We throw something out there and say, let's go swim after that. (laughs) But we either lose sight of the goal or we get distracted or we get pushed back by the waves. Instead, if we know what we want to do, let's create an action plan. And again, the book, at one point I was calling it a workbook and my publisher said, could you please not call it that? (laughs) So pedantic, but it is, it's intended to lay out an action plan that helps you meaningfully move toward your goals. So start with one day. What am I going to do today? What we just talked about, I'm going Mm. to ask for help. Start with writing your offer if you don't know it. Start with defining your offense or your opportunity. Start with writing your social legacy and then to your question, Abby, if you have all of those things, start with what are you going to do next? What does success look like? Who are the people around you who will hold you accountable to taking action? I think that's super important. I go back to the tribe a lot. For instance, writing the book, if I push it to the side, oh, it's a side project. Oh, it's not the priority. The day job and my family are the priority. No, they're all priorities. I've said it. There are people in my life who have held me accountable and said, hey, what's going on with the book? I love those people. Or after I did a TEDx talk, I put the book on the back burner. I thought, okay, the stories have been told. And multiple people in my life held me accountable and said, no, no, 
I think you still need to write the book. And without their encouragement or prompt (laughs) or shove, (laughs) I probably wouldn't have. Because again, we do default to diminishing ourselves. I've never written a book. Am I a good writer? Do I know the first thing about publishing? The answer to all those things was an unknown. And it's easier to lean into our strengths, the things we do know. But if we feel a tug in our heart to do something, something wild, and I would even say that which our ambition exceeds our resources or our capabilities. If you feel that tug, do it. There is something calling to you. Your spirit is yearning to do something. And that's the fun and the adventure of life. If you feel that calling and you don't know how to get there, start with one step. I started putting pen to paper. Well, fingers to keyboard. (laughs) And then I started writing a little more. And then I started carving out time. A lot of people have reached out and said, how did you write a book? And I'd love to hear your tips as well. But that's how it was one day at a time, one chapter at a time. And then I heard I needed an agent. Well, how does one get an agent? I have no idea. Let's take that next step. And it's just chewing the elephant one bite at a time. But look, a book got published in one year's time as a result. If you went back, rewound two years, how are you going to write a book? I wouldn't have had the faintest idea. Mm. But when you just take one small step, you find yourself progressing and there's a momentum in your life. As long as you start with the micro moments, and frankly, this is not a sexy answer, but you operate with discipline. You take that step, you give yourself a timeline, you take the next step, you give yourself a deadline, and you continue to move forward with intention. That's such great advice. And it is those small steps, you know, one bite at a time of chewing the elephant is a great analogy. One that I've not heard before, but one that really resonates. Um, and like you say, with the book, it's it's the idea, but I always think of it, it reminds me of that situation with Walt Disney. And I don't know if you know this story, Emily, but when Walt Disney World was opened, Walt wasn't actually here to see it being opened. And his brother was there at the opening ceremony. And they said to him, and what a shame Walt's not here to see it open. And he said, yes, but at least he dreamed the dream. And I really do think there is something poignant in having that clarity of having dreamed the dream, having that clarity on the legacy that you want and being emotionally connected to it. You know, there's examples in the stories in your own personal story, being emotionally connected to the cause and the offense, the opportunity that you want to be part of. I think that drives you to do it. I think that drives you every day. It gives you something inside to make these things happen, having dreamed the dream and becoming emotionally connected to it. I think so. There's this wonderful saying. It's just so clarifying. Here it is. 100 years, all new people. Mm. (laughs) Right? So it goes back to that conversation. You've got this one precious life. I'm halfway through it. I'm starting to understand that phrase, midlife. I'm like, oh, wow, time is running out. I get four years with my daughter before she goes to university. I am at this stage where how do I want to give it all away? That's what I'm thinking. How am I going to die empty? Because I don't want to take anything with me. I want to, at the end of my life, look back and say, I poured my life into everything around me, into the people around me. I left this legacy because I'm not taking it where I'm going. So I don't want to look back with any regrets. I want to look back and say, I gave money to everybody who needed it. I gave time to those who needed it. I gave my love and my space and I gave kibun to everybody who I had the opportunity to. Look, I know that's not going to exactly be true. I will look back with some regrets and think I could have done that better. I missed a moment there. And we can't beat ourselves up. Like you said before, when we discussed, do we ask for help? 
We don't extend grace to ourselves the way we do to others. Mm. We have to be generous with ourselves, not complacent or condoning bad behavior, but we have to say, look, I didn't hit it out of the ballpark or I did not hit a perfect record, but I tried. And the times I won or achieved my goals were more than the times that I missed it. And that's good. You've written the spare room. You give your spare room to people in need. You're a mother. You've got this clarity. You're fulfilling your purpose. You're helping others fulfill theirs and really define their social legacy. What many of you may not know is that the day job Emily refers to is CEO of McCann's World Group China. No small day job. So when she refers to day job, I'm going to bring it back. That is a big day job, Emily. When I heard you speak, what I absolutely loved is how you brought that into the workplace, how you brought that into your day-to-day job, how you brought that into how you lead your teams. And I'm sure many listeners are thinking, God, I'd love to be led by Emily. Tell us what it's like to be led by you and what you do intentionally to lead your team authentically and with purpose. I think the first word is authentically. We have to put this at the forefront of every single day. It's so easy to fall into a cookie cutter shape, going back to the pattern recognition comments. It's so easy to get pulled into the finances and to say, wow, life is hard right now. Leading a team is hard. Work is hard. But what's important? Do I truly believe what I say? That I want to be an authentic leader. I want to be vulnerable. I want to be engaged. I want my people to know not only do I have their back, I will pour my life into them. That's my goal. Are my micro decisions, are my everyday interactions with them saying this? When I have a one-to-one with them, are my eyes on them or are my eyes on my phone? Can they hear me clacking away on my keyboard while they're talking? All these little things are indicators to them of how much I care about them and how they are the sole focus of my attention when I'm with them. I hope the answer, and I think certainly more often than not, the answer is yes to those questions. I want to be very intentional about my time with my team. Right now, as I'm in LA, I'm working all through the night with them. I hope they know that that is my pleasure. It is not a sacrifice. It is not making them feel badly that I'm up late at night. Instead, what I've been saying is, you guys, my nights are filled with energy because I get to see your faces. This is the best part of my day because I'm with you again. I want to say that. Because it's easy to try and show it, but you have to remember people perceive what they perceive. And again, going back to how we all tend to try and diminish ourselves, they will, by default, I worry, feel badly. Oh my gosh, Emily's up so late. Let me not bother her. Let me not spend too much time. So I'm over pivoting in intention to say, hey, call me anytime. I'm awake anyway, guys. Hey, I am here for you. You know, the other day I woke up at 6.30 in the morning to join a pitch and they're like, oh, you don't have to. I said, of course I will. You invited me to join you and meet this new client. I'll be there. It's my pleasure. So are we reaching out and helping people feel it is our pleasure? It is our joy to serve them. Or do they feel that they are an obligation? Do they feel like they are a burden? I think that's, it's always putting ourselves on the other side of the table because as employees, because we're all employees of someone, we often feel that way, don't we? Mm. But as managers, we don't often remember that that's how somebody else on the other side of the table feels. So I think that's what it feels like. I hope it feels human. I hope it feels like I will confess if I've done something wrong. I will apologize if I could have done something better. I will celebrate. I will send yesterday, it was Nico's birthday. She's a strategy director on one of my agencies. And I sent her a happy birthday song because she is so sweet and so lovely. And I just wanted her to feel loved. 
and it's silly and I probably didn't sing completely in tune, (laughs) but it takes us 30 seconds instead of typing a note. Hey, happy birthday. Have a great day. So what can you do in an extra 30 seconds to help somebody feel loved, to feel valued, to know you're thinking about them and flip the table, flip the table. If your boss sent you a happy birthday song versus a text, how would you feel? And yet flip the table again. How hard was it to send that song? So what can you do that helps somebody feel that extra sense of love, appreciation, and personal human engagement? That's really great advice. And I think in the busy day jobs that we do have, as you say, it doesn't take much to give that little bit more that will have much more greater impact. Really great advice, Emily. And thank you for sharing that. So I have to ask, what are your career highs and lows? (laughs) My career high tends to be today. It's always today, I think. We want to be in a place where we're doing more than surviving. Most people can survive in a job. And that's frankly, sadly, what most people are doing. How do you put yourself, take control of your life, lead with intention? How do you put yourself in a job where you're thriving? We can't just blame our boss, our company, right? If we're not happy, we can control enough elements around ourselves. We can control our reactions to things to say, am I in a place where I am thriving today? If not, what has to be true? Can I change the dynamics around myself to make that true? If not, should I move? Sitting in bitterness and resenting other people is going to make this situation worse and worse. So remove yourself, put yourself in a place where you're thriving. Mm. I have done that. I have also engaged and partnered with my boss to create a better environment, to change elements that can enable me to thrive because it's not about me because it's when I thrive, I can enable my teams to thrive and I do more for the business. I have to believe that's true first in order to lean into this conversation with boldness. But when you put yourself in a place where you're thriving, every day is your best day. Every day is so much fun. I was just talking about this with my daughter. She's like, mom, you're so morbid. But I always say, (laughs) if I died tonight in my sleep, was it a good day? And yesterday she said, is it? I said, yeah, today was the best day. If I died in my sleep today, today was the best day. I had this time with you. I had to do this thing with my team. I had the opportunity to bless this person at work. And then on the side, I did X, Y, and Z. How do you look back at one day? Maybe they're not hugely impactful, award-winning, getting on stage to accept something moments, but maybe those aren't the things that give you joy. Maybe they're the little moments where you know you left something better than you found it. And that's my definition of legacy. So did you leave people, circumstances, better than you found them today? If you did, that was your best day. I absolutely love that. And your reflection that you quite clearly have around each and every day. Have I had my best day? Have you left things better than you found them? This podcast, Emily, has been absolutely peppered with such inspirational messages and quotes to take away. You know, I've been sat here furiously writing them down. At my best, not every day. Leave them better than you found them. How do you die empty? You know, I could go on. So thank you so much for your time on today's podcast. Thank you so much for the inspiring questions. It was such a great conversation. It's absolute pleasure. It doesn't feel fair to ask you the final question, but I'm going to ask anyways, which is what one piece of advice would you give to marketers of tomorrow? The advice I would give to marketers and to everybody 
is go back to a place where you can thrive. How do you create the elements in the workplace, in the work that you're doing, and in the things that you are learning to continue to thrive? Because when you thrive, you will contribute more. For example, everyone's talking about Metaverse NFT. My team hosted an event called Future Forward just today. Suzanne and Annie, who led this event, are phenomenal. This is extra on top of their day job. Mm. I was blown away by what they wanted to do, by the incredible thought leadership Suzanne brought to the table, by Annie's idea to create this live stream event brought to you by McCann China. And then, you know, my CCO, Imbo, jumped in and he's like, let's give everybody who attends this special NFT. And the design is knock your socks off. Wonderful. These guys all did this in their extra time. And, you know, as a leader, I didn't say, hey, guys, I want you to consider doing this. They brought the idea to me and they just kept building on each other, collaborating, amplifying it. And I'm confident, I saw a ton of pictures because it happened while I slept, that everyone enjoyed this day immensely, including our clients. This comes from people thriving in the workplace, feeling free to bring their best, to contribute. And then as a leader, I just sit back in absolute joy, joyful bliss and pride looking at what they're bringing. They're thriving. I'm thriving. Our business is thriving. So that's my encouragement. If you create the constructs as much as you can and take responsibility for what has to be true, have that conversation with your management, with your teams, with your peers. Because that's when we're all at our best and we're leaning into the future with intention. We're not chasing shiny tools and saying everybody needs an NFT. No, we're being thoughtful. We're bringing leadership to the marketplace and saying, let's really interrogate what this thing is, how it can materially help our business. Let's have a discussion about it. Mm. I love what this team has done. It's just a live example of if you guys, as you look into the future, don't be intimidated by any of this new technology. Don't be intimidated by what you don't know. Nobody knows. We're all learning. The world is constantly evolving. So if you're in a place where you can contribute and you are feeling free to learn, that is your best place. That's such great advice. And thank you for all the advice that you've given to our listeners throughout today's podcast. It's been absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you for tuning in to the Whole Marketeer podcast. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please do click follow below for more weekly podcasts. The Whole Marketer book is now available in all good bookstores. And to find out more about how Labyrinth can support and step change the growth of your brand or agency, go to www.labyrinthmarketing.co.uk.